directly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Thought for the day, smite those that disbelieve, for they have turned from the light and fallen. Hello Legionnaires and welcome to episode 84 of the Grim Dark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you join us for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium, using the gaming systems created by whoever will create them, you know, because we'd like, we'd like to see some more. Uh, right now we're covering off the Fantasy Flight games, but we'll see in the future uh, what we might be able to cover. Yep. Uh, tonight's show will be a Black Crusade show. Uh, before we jump into what we'll be talking about today, let's uh, talk about our uh, time in gaming it's actually only it's only been nearly three weeks since our last episode we're, it's, getting, we're getting back into the swing crazy. of it that's crazy that's crazy yeah. <laughs> despite the fact I'm travelling overseas again this week and uh, yeah. yeah actually it's funny I'll, I'll just you're going to New Zealand is that even a country well it's, it, it takes it's less time to get there than it takes to get the other side of Australia yeah but no the annoying thing is that I've got an important telephone call one night this week and it happens to be the night that I'm new in New Zealand and because of the time difference I'll have to. I'll be flying into New Zealand. Get there at midday New Zealand time. I run training until the evening. I've got a, a, a dinner with customers, and then I've got to get a bit of sleep for my telco at three a.m. three to five, and then get up again and run training starting eight a.m. through until uh, I think uh, one p.m. Then fly back to Sydney. So, yeah, insanity. I know. Anyway, sounds good. We're not here to talk about my work. We're here to talk about our gaming. Yes. So, in the last uh, in the last three weeks, we've done. We managed to get D and D in. Yep. And we are indeed playing D&D tomorrow night as well, as we're recording. Yes. Uh, so that's been still being all right. It's a bit of a dungeon hack at the moment, a bit of a dungeon oh, crawl. Oh, a dungeon crawl. D&D usually devolves into a dungeon crawl at some point. Yeah, but it's like, so we had this whole thing where we were playing through a published scenario. We were playing through the old Pulls of Radiance. And that was designed for character levels 1 to 6. But you could go as high as sort of 8 to 9. And then the next carry-on adventure was like, picked up from level 6 to 9 and went forward and so we got to level like right on level 9 at the end of the first scenario and the GM's like oh, I just want to quickly run a bit in between you know these two scenarios and so that bit has just become this dungeon call it's like three sessions now of just the same dungeon yeah and I think we've leveled to like level 11 now so yeah I don't know I might have thrown off his plans for actually continuing the storyline like there's not really much storyline going on what we're doing now it's pretty much go to room kill, kill things take their stuff rinse repeat Nothing yeah. like a little bit of murder hobo work. That's it. So someone has to do it. Yep, yep, that's it. Well, it sounds like you know tomorrow night will be the sort of finale of the dungeon, and we'll see what happens after that. Anyway, so. the, the way I look at it, someone was polite enough to go around the entirety of Faerun, building nothing but thousands of dungeons. <laughs> Just some monsters could populate them. The least we can do is visit each and every one of yep. them. Actually, I got to say, just on a side note, on the D and D topic, something I've been following recently is uh, so if you're not familiar with Pathfinder, Pathfinder is a city which was put together by Pezo after interest started to wane in 3.5, moving towards four, moving towards fourth edition, where they sort of refined the rules a bit, had their own version, which is sort of nominally called 3.75, and they had their own sort of world or worlds as well. And one thing that they did was they released these adventure path booklets. Mm-hmm. So they were sort of six magazine-sized booklets for each adventure path, and each one sort of continued through the same story. They'd go from level one through to a high level, you know, and, and each one was designed to be 
each, each six set was a, a, an adventure or a whole campaign in, in and of itself. You wouldn't go from one to the next. You'd restart because they all start at first level. And one of the most popular scenarios was one called Kingmaker. And that's recently been successfully kickstarted to be made into a computer game. You know, classic sort of isometric CRPG computer yeah, game style. So Baldur's Gate style type thing. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing it because one of the things that made Kingmaker so popular was the fact that it took place over a long period of time. So characters went from being adventurers to literally being lords of the realm. And the later parts of Kingmaker were all about you know, managing your, you know, your holding your, you know, that's the thing, your, your, your lands against threats. Which I thought was... I'd be interested how they translate that to a computer game as well, so... Because, okay. I mean, just talking about Baldur's Gate there, they went... You know, it went from Baldur's Gate 1, which was a classical sort of low-level party adventure, and in, in Baldur's Gate 2, you were building a stronghold and, you know, really sort of doing stuff that was reserved for high-level characters in second edition, so... Yeah, yeah. All right, D&D aside, I've also run Scion uh, in the past three weeks, uh, which is typical madness, yes... <laughs> it's, all, it's always a fun game, and I think the last session I went along with, uh, I, I always sort of have this thing where I get to the session, I go, oh, I've got nothing planned at all, this is going to be terrible. And then I always end up having a good time because the group is such a dynamic group, they can just create stuff for themselves to do as well, and they're very funny too. Uh, and I also finally got around to running Numenera again uh, last Friday. So Numenera, I, I've been out of, actually, I, I had a session planned about a month ago, before, before I was going to the US, and I just, it completely slipped my mind. I was so busy with work. I got a phone call. I got a message from the team when I was actually at work in the evening saying, uh, are you having dinner with us or are we playing when you get here? I'm like, oh, crap. I forgot about that. And it was too late to leave work and go and do it. So I finally managed to get a session in, and it is such a weird game. Like, we're enjoying it, but it is just so strange. Uh, I was, like, sort of reading, I was reading, I'm adapting parts of a published scenario called The Devil's Spine, and I was saying to one of the uh, the character, one of the players, as I was to the reading as we we're waiting for dinner to arrive, that I've just come across a, a chapter here called "Inexplicable Face." You know, <laughs> I find it such a such a weird game. So yeah, yeah, but it's still enjoyable. So yeah, that's it. I mean, other than that, I've just been doing, doing a lot of modelling. Actually, uh, one of my friends told Same. me that's pretty much what yeah, I've been doing. One of my friends said to me today, "I haven't seen you online for ages, like in you know online computer games, or whatever." And I said, "No, I've been modelling. Actually, it's been my." If you'd follow our Facebook page, you know that I was doing some household cleaning, and I um, found a whole bunch of miniatures I forgot that I'd bought years ago. Well, you knew you had the Bane Blade. I knew I had the Bane Blade, but I wasn't looking for the Bane Blade. I was, what I was, in fact, I couldn't even find what I was actually looking for, because um, what I'd done was in the past, uh, when I was making miniatures for a Dark Heresy campaign, is I'd gone and bought from this now defunct site a bunch of female guard torsos and heads. Yeah. And because I, I mentioned in the last episode, I come across this whole problem where uh, I didn't have legal Imperial Guard squads anymore because I, I've got two special weapons per squad, an 8th edition limits you to one special weapon per squad. I thought maybe I've got enough bits of Imperial Guards I can bash together. Two to, extra people. To- yeah, two extra people to sort of replace those special weapons and such, you know. And I didn't. I couldn't find those those torsos and heads that I'd previously purchased. I had no idea where they are. What I did find is the Bane Blade, which I mentioned. I found the completely unopened um, Space Marine Battle Force. Yeah. So that's like so that's a tactical squad, an assault squad, a reduced tactical squad, and a Rhino. Yeah. Um, I found a unbuilt um, squad of Imperial Guards. That'll probably solve that problem. I just make them all as guard, and then swap around the the figures to get or make, make one. Plebs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, I found included a Corto and his retinue, um, which I 
I, I had the Inquisitor figure, but I'd lost the arm with the Cyberman. That was actually still in the box. That's fine. And, and then <laughs> um, a bunch of unopened uh, fine cast grey nuts. Great, yeah. So and also um, a dark a dark elf as well. So a dark elf. Arm. So which I'd previously bought to do a, a conversion for a, a, an RPG. So yeah. Um, yeah. So I've got apparently I have every single name grey knight hero. I didn't even realise it. So, so yeah, anyway, I've, I've just been doing just chaos stuff mostly, yeah, putting you, stuff together. You worked out the size of your Nurgle army. You were saying before, yeah, yeah, yeah about about four and a half thousand points of just Nurgle. Plus, I've got all the other chaos stuff to do. Yeah, and um, really, I'm just getting back into the swing of it because it's been so long since I've done any real modelling, and I've got a major project to do. Yeah, and I want to make sure that I'm back to sort of peak performance level before I get started. So, what, what's your major project? A uh, Greater Brass Scorpion. Okay, no worries. And you've got the model and everything as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, no got, got the model and everything. I've, I've, I already know the paint scheme I was always going to use. Yeah. Um, That'll be for your corn armor, I imagine, is it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's pretty much it's the bulk of the corn army. The damn thing's massive. Um, what does that cost points-wise, anyway? That's about 700 points. Wow, okay, that's that not even like craps over things like a land raid or whatever. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, is it is it a Lord of War? Is it's it? a Lord of it's War. It's a Lord of War. Okay, yeah, it makes yeah. sense. It, then, it's yeah. it's a twenty wound Lord of War with its you know ten toughness and God knows what else. Okay, the thing's an absolute monster, but yeah, it, it, it's okay. a it's a tricky. So, so you were giving me advice before we started the show on how to include Lords of War in your army, and now I <laughs> now I understand why you've been been researching this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. No worries. Okay, so let's talk about today's show. As I mentioned before, it is Black Crusade. We'll do, a, I think, a relatively short news section this time. Uh, then, uh, following on from last episode, I want to talk about how you would incorporate the 8th edition, edition fluff changes into your Black Crusade setting, what the yep. impact it has there. Uh, we were talking about the Alpha Legion Chaos Space Marine archetype. Uh, we'll do some plot, plot hooks and war gear. Uh, then I want to review... I, I called it an 8th edition review last episode, but I want to specifically review the box products that have been released with 8th edition. So we're talking... Um, Dark Imperium, No No Fear, and First Strike. Yep. Uh, and then last discussion I want to have is basically about time. Um, I'll go into more detail in the show, but I've got this discussion. It's come up from my own games, and I wanted to... We've, we've touched on it in the past. Time have, as in a narrative concept, or time as in how time passes? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, or, or managing, I guess, when you've got... when The way you want to run your game time-wise doesn't work with the group or, and in, either, in either direction, basically, because I've had that a few times in games recently. So Yeah. Uh, and then we'll do our regular community section and close out the show. Okay, sounds So, cool. let's keep going. Command acknowledge accessing Imperial Archives. Okay, so news-wise, we'll start off with Cubicle 7, and I haven't actually seen any real major news, except for the fact that they have now managed to get all of the old Warhammer Fantasy titles from each edition back up onto Dry Through RPG again, so you can once again now buy those and, and download those books. So yep. that's a... Did you notice the edition, though? What's that? Well, they've put all the all the uh, old books up, yep. but it's not the latest edition. Okay. It's the previous edition to that, so it's not the FFG, FFG oh, okay. version. No worries. It's the previous version to that, which leads me to think that that's more of a system they're going to be sort of aiming at, more of a percentile dice system rather than... Crazy so, weird dice. Because I mean, um, they, they were mid through that that edition, which is sixth edition. I, 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 I can't even now. remember. But, okay, but so that 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 edition, which was based on the old like Hogshead and GW style one. Yeah. They were in the middle of that when it went from Black Industries to FFG. Yeah. So I'm interested in finding out whether or not they. And I have to look this up after the show whether or not they actually put up the FFG produced titles from that edition. 
if that or, did, did, or, did they, not, or yes. not yeah did they get all the FFGs I, yeah, I didn't yeah. actually think about that and check it but yeah. I, I, I did notice it was one of the first things I checked was which edition they were putting up and yeah, sure enough it wasn't the, the crazy dice FFG yeah. system because I mean most of the most of the products for the FFG the, the later release one they did with the with the, with the coloured dice they weren't really PDF friendly products a lot of no, them came in boxes with cards and you know, that, that, yeah, that, it, so. it was very storefront heavy. You needed to go through a distributor shop to yeah. be able to sell that sort of That's product. It. it was more sort of playing on, G, on yeah. uh, FFG's uh, board game sort of um, contact, uh, yeah, skills, <laughs> yes. etc. Et so, yeah. uh, anyway, so I'll look that up anyway afterwards. Um, okay, games workshop wise, uh, we're seeing more and more stuff for Primaris Marines at the moment. So, a vast amount of stuff. Yeah, we've seen, for example, the Chaplains, the Apothecaries. We, we already saw the release of the Captain and the, um, the Librarian. What do you think of the repulsor tank? It's very boxy. Yeah, but, but that fits for space marines. I mean, that's it. even their flyers are very boxy. Yeah, I, I, I quite like it. I, I, I like the repulsor tank. It's one of those sort of really nice figures. Uh, I'm, some of the primary stuff I'm taking or leave it. Like I, I prefer the more classic style dreadnoughts or the you know, most recent style dreadnoughts to the primary dreadnoughts. The primary dreadnought looks too. <laughs> Sort of um, live, almost. On yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of the Primaris Dreadnought. The best thing about the Primaris Dreadnought, though, is that you don't need magnets to swap the weapons out. Yeah, that's true. They, they've designed it in a way so that you can just click the weapon off, put on the alternate arm, yeah, and you can do that as much as you like without I, having to screw around buying magnets and setting up magnetization. And all yeah, okay. Stuff. It yeah. is a pain. Ris- risking your children swallowing magnets and... <laughs> Can we take him to the hospital because rare earth magnets are horrible to swallow? Oh, yeah. there's a worse thing than swallowing a rare earth magnet. Um, I had a set of rare earth magnets, and it's been a long time since I've done any real modelling. Yeah. And one of them corroded. Yeah. And there were bits of magnet all through the box that oh, it was okay. in, and yep. they just went over everything. Oh, no. Stuck on each side of it, and yeah, some stuff had to be thrown away okay. because of it. Because rare earth magnets are pretty strong too, so yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, they've done this a lot with a lot of the sprues, and we'll talk about this when we get to our review as well, but, I mean, so much more stuff is sort of clipped together now. Uh, like, I, I remember when I built my Eldar recently for... Um, uh, for, Shadow for Shadow War. Like, that, that, that just, just building a box of Guardians was almost enough to turn me off Eldar forever. Just trying to manage, like, the arms and the... I mean, anyone that's built, like, sort of the, the previous edition of Space Marines... Yeah, they've also... Sort of yeah, the, the arms the, to hold the guns properly, and you're trying to hold... It's easier with Space Marines, though, because they've got chunky bits. Whereas Elder are all very, all very thin and exactly. slender, so there's not as much glue area. Yeah, that's to... it. And you, meanwhile, you've had to glue, like, a single foot to the base. Yeah. And therefore, um, you know, you're trying to get the arms on, and you stick, your fingers up, and you knock the base off again, you know. Actually, I did... Um, I mentioned I found that Battle Force, and I've been slowly building that, so I built the Assault Marine squad from that the other night and I don't know what sort of addition of miniatures they are but of course every single figure only has one foot on the base and not even none of them even have a full foot it's like the the toes the, the toes that's it it's all, it's all that's in contact <laughs> with the base they're not solid base they're, they're flat bases and everything so I'm, I'm sorry for that crap yes <laughs> um so yeah, let's bit out from from GW. I mean, have you seen anything else so far that it's a note? We haven't heard much about these other codexes. That oh yeah, no, no, no. They, they announced two more codexes will be coming out in the next couple of weeks, which is Grey Knights and Chaos. Okay, all right. So they, so they, cause I, I, I heard that Chaos was coming along with yeah. Primaris Marines, but they've been quite and different. Grey Knights, and I think you can get in one of the uh, Triumvirate boxes. There was a Grey Knight Champion or, or Lord or okay, yeah. special librarian something or another and I think you can get him separately like they're selling him separately okay. on a flying yeah, cast right. 
Yeah, um, I've seen a lot of people selling components of the triumvirates on eBay as well. Like people that yeah. only want one figure and they. Well, that's it. I mean, that's how I got hold of my Inquisitor Grayfax. Yeah, I didn't know you had that. No. Yeah, okay. yeah that's, that's, a, that's a nice miniature as well. It is a nice model. Yeah, because yeah. um, I, 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 I haven't put it together yet. It's just yeah. sitting in a box along with thousands of other models that haven't been put together. Because I, I noticed this from um, so. Uh, I've been following this, I mentioned last episode, this Shadow War Armageddon Zone website as such, you know, and I've been looking at some of the conversions people have done there, and someone did this Inquisitor army where they sort of made, you know, sort of big background with a char- for every single character in the in the army, and they've used um, Inquisitor Greyfax as a basis for that, and they've converted it pretty heavily as well, like used kit bash pieces and all sorts of things. I'm thinking, how could you buy that massive triumvirate box set and then cut one of the figures up? Like, you know, it's, yeah. but I suppose if people are breaking them up, then it's a good way to get... Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially pieces. something like Greyfax, because most people are buying that box to get um, Basalia's Call, yeah. who's yeah. a massive model. Yeah. And well, what, what about what about Celestine? Oh, and Celestine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Celestine's, Celestine's a beautiful model to paint, I think. Yeah. Looks like it would be a good model to paint. Yeah. Basalia's Call, though, is just a cool model. It is a very cool model, yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Um, I thought I think he was in the triumvirate of the um, of the space ring one, like along, along with along no with um, Gulliman and something. No, okay. I have no idea. I wouldn't because I don't collect enough of those armies to together really care. Okay. to All care right. about what yeah. they come in. I'd get them off eBay individually. Yeah, it would probably cost a little bit more than if I yeah used all three. But I'm not going to use all three. If you're, if you're in a, like a big card for your friends that all play 40k, you can probably work out some oh, yeah. deals to buy it together. But you know. buy it together and, and split out your parts. Yeah, our friends are too poor. Slash, our friends are too money poor or time poor yeah. to get too involved in 40k. So yeah, at the moment, yeah. it's pretty much just us. <laughs> ah. um, all right. So uh, computer gaming wise, n- no news recently that I've really been following. I, I, I had, I believe, I haven't actually sort of caught up with what's going on with the Crusade for some time. I did notice that one of the recent releases was um, Sanctus Reach, 40k Sanctus Reach is on Steam. And I haven't had a look at it yet, but I noticed that it's got very positive is its average review. Um, a lot of people oh, are saying things good. like, this is a game that Dawn of War 3 should have been, you know, a very reminiscent of the board, of the miniature game rules. So, yeah, next time I get jump onto Steam and have some time, I think that's what we want to check out, actually. it's Right now, it's only Space Wolves versus Orcs. Yeah, but a lot of people feel that, given the success of the game, that they might actually look at bringing out more armies into the game as well. Into so. the game as well, yeah. Well, on semi-related computer game notes, uh, mm-hmm. Full Draw just released a model for the Chapter Master of Blood Ravens. Okay, yeah. Gabriel, whatever his name Gabriel is. Gabriel, and yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, right he's, he's got God Splitter the Hammer. Okay, uh, that's all right. I remember. <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, it's good to see that the Blood Ravens appearing. You know, in more things. I remember when I was playing the Space Marine Xbox game, yeah. and you sort of come across the Blood Ravens at the end of the game, like, oh, the Blood Ravens. You know, they're more than just Dawn of War now. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they were in. Um, uh, were they the ones that were in um, the the chess analog um, Regicide? Yeah, I think they were. Yeah, they, they, yeah I, think I know White Scars was the second army. It, it was either it was red. It was either it was either Blood Angels or, or um, Blood, Blood Ravens. Angels. But well, yeah. anyway, we digress. Yes. Let's get on to the main part of the show, shall we? Yes. Knowledge is power. Hide it well. So, last episode we spoke about how much the changes in, in 40k had made to the, or how much they'd done to the Imperium. Okay, now let's have a look at the other side of the warp. Uh, particularly, I mean, Black Crusade is, of course, focused on a particular part of the warp, a particular area, but there's no reason that it couldn't be expanded set, beyond yeah. that as such. You, know, you could set it in any 
warp rift. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the shouting vortex. Yes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the screaming void. Uh, <laughs> that's, just, that's like the adjective noun. That's it. That's what you yes. can do it. Uh, but of course, I mean, uh, Chaos has definitely gotten a severe leg up in Eighth Edition in terms of their uh, their power play for the universe, and so I think that you could certainly translate that across to your uh, your, your RPG as well. Uh, what I'd probably do if I was doing it would be that now we've got this sort of world-changing event, especially if I had players playing Black Crusade, who, and this is what more likely what I would have, is players who are not super keen on following the wargame fluff, but like Warhammer as a, as a concept, is I would probably actually play through the events, you know, uh, at least not, not the direct events, but have, have the characters see the the changes that occur because of everything we see at the end of 7th edition leading to 8th edition. The fall of Cadia? Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, they may, not be, they may not be there, but they may see what happens with the warp because of that. You know, they may have some effect, and suddenly the Screaming Vortex becomes a very small place with opportunity beyond its borders as such. Uh, but unlike what we spoke about with Death Watch, how you'd have things like, okay, how can you bring start bringing Primaris, Marines, etc.? There isn't really a lot of opportunity for... Um, uh, for, for new things in in Black Crusade and such, a lot of the characters oh, it is for killing them. No, oh, that's yeah, that's true. That's right. They, they make good enemies. That's yeah. uh, but I mean, a lot of your like your Chaos Space Marines in Black Crusade are long time Chaos Space Marines and such. You know, yeah. and I'm sure that at some point the fluff somewhere says, "Oh, Primaris Marines don't fall to Chaos." Um, oh, they're <laughs> supposed to be more resilient to Chaos, but yeah. that said, I mean, Primarchs were supposed to be pretty resilient to Chaos as well. See so yeah, how that turned out. Yeah, <laughs> they were conned. Uh, <laughs> it's all a con job by the word bearers. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, how do you think, Mike? I mean, if you were running um, Black Rousseau, you're say you're running a normal game in the Screaming Vortex, yeah. and your group starts getting super excited about Eighth Edition, you know, what do you think you would want to do to try and capture the element that you know the the, the, the overall narrative has changed because of what's happened in Eighth Edition? Um, you need to make it more evident that getting a Black Crusade going is is more important. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Imperium's reeling. Now is the time to strike. Now is the time where you can get out there and you can really do some damage while they're struggling to, to get things under control. And, you know, with the expansion of the uh, the warp rifts everywhere, yeah. um, there's also going to be more competition as well. People are going to want to come to your area to take your resources to use them in their own Black Crusades. Because it's going to be easier for them to travel around now. Yeah. It's going to be easier for them to get to you and get to your stuff. I, I think one of the often forgotten about elements of Black Crusade is that although the, the primary setting is the Screaming Vortex, you know, the, it, the GM and the players are encouraged to regularly go into the Imperium as well. Like, you oh, know, yeah. the, the, certainly a lot of heretics can't survive basic inspection, you know, in the Imperium, but there's no reason they can't still get engaged in guerrilla campaigns piracy. or piracy or yeah or, or, or other forms of subterfuge especially if you've got a few zinch worshippers yeah that yeah that there's plenty of reason to actually run your black crusade game beyond the borders of the screaming vortex and i think that more so now with 8th edition you've actually got a lot more imperative for that um i had a second point i wanted to raise as well based on what you're saying because i think what it was Ah, it'll come to me anyway. We'll we, we just keep going, and, and whatever the topic was, it'll, it'll come up to me. I, I can't believe it slipped my mind again. I'm, I'm terrible. Yeah, it's, it's my complete lack of sleep, <laughs> uh, which is going to get worse this week. Uh, yeah, so I mean, the you we need to basically grow the scope of your campaign 
to, to show that uh, uh, Chaos is, is on the, the forefoot. I remember what I want to talk about now as well. So it's, it, I knew it would come back to mind. Uh, so what I was actually going to say was that uh, one of the one of my favorite tropes in Black Crusade that I think that every GM needs to use is the fact that, yes, the player characters, this warband, their sort of end lofty goal is to form Black Crusade and storm the Imperium. And of course, would you say, Mike, that when an, when an individual sets out to, to engage in a Black Crusade, they, they've only got a single objective in mind? Or are they just like wanting to go as far as they can possibly go? Oh, go as far as they possibly can go. Yeah, I mean, you might have a, you know, it, it might just simply be that my Black Crusade is to destroy Armageddon, for example. But oh, I mean, it could be. I mean, it, it depends on the Black Crusade. It depends who's running it, where they're trying to get to, what their their aim is. Um, yeah, but at the end of the day, the, the, the final goal is always, you know, terror. You know, like, re- reach the heart of the Imperium and burn down its its. its that, that's it because really, Abaddon's one one of his Black Crusades was to get. Drachnian the sword. Yeah, that's um, true. I guess, I guess you know. It's... But anyway, what... obviously, if all opposition had crumbled in front of him and he had a clear path straight to terror, he would have just taken it. But that didn't happen because yeah. he knew it wasn't going to. But what I was getting at is that so you've got the group of players and their objective is to you know lead the next Black Crusade. But of course, they're not the only elements in the universe at that point in time, possibly in their in their direct environment, who also want to reach that point. And so if you've got you know, another person in the screen vortex or wherever you are uh, that is looking like they are quickly gaining the favour of the gods and, and you know, could, could soon, you know, mount their own crusade, there is a possibility of saying, well, we need to actually, we need to take them out because they're taking all our potential glory. Yeah. You know, we, we want to make sure that the next Black Crusade is us, not, you know, us following them. Yeah, so. I, I mean, the worst thing you, is to get ready for your Black Crusade, go to the shipyard and say, yes, we want to get your fleet to take off <laughs> Oh, sorry, we've already given them to this other guy who's doing it on a Black Crusade. That's right, yeah. yeah He's was, much further advanced than you. Stabby McGee, what do you say? What was yeah, it? Face Stabby McGee. <laughs> face Stabby McGee, that's it, yeah. He was, too, he was so hardcore <laughs> that yeah, Corn, he got Corn's favour first. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the I think that with Chaos on the front foot for once, uh, I don't know, for once, I mean, at this, at this current point in time, uh, that you're going to have a lot more individuals of ambition seeing this as a, you know, the, okay, this is my, this is my sign that it's time to, you know, mount, go ready, forward. yeah, prepare my forces and go, you know, the, the Imperium is reeling, it's split in two, now's the time. And so if your player characters want to be the ones that, you know, are at the forefront of that, they may need to knock a few higher pegs down the, down the pole as such in order to make sure that they remain on top. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, yeah. if, if your if your Black Crusade game is spent with more time fighting other forces of chaos than forces in the Imperium, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> there should be a lot of fighting against other forces of chaos. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Former friends, you know, <laughs> bitter enemies. It's uh, they're, they're all they're all fodder in in Black Crusade. Yeah. So look, I mean, for what the whole thing about 40k is that you're playing a game where um, it, you, you, your side's never winning. You know, in, in, no matter which, which game you play, you know, it's always small victory after small victory, but, you know, it always feels like you're losing the war. And I, I think for Black Crusade, there's actually the opportunity to feel like, actually, no, this is, we just won a major victory, and now it's time to capitalize on that, you know. So it's not about the, the enemies I think you bring in, or the forces, or the equipment, that sort of stuff. You don't need to use any of those things to inspire the atheist and feel. You just need to bring in the concept that, you know, 
here, guys, we're actually this is it. You know, the, the, the we're end, winning. You're winning. You know, the, the 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 path is clear. The end of the Imperium is nigh. Let's just consolidate and push. Uh, so yeah, that, that's probably be the the one key element I think would be important to incorporate into a Black Crusade game. Yeah, if you're trying to do eighth edition. Yeah, I mean, does anything else leap to your mind, Mike? About no, I, I, I think you're right. The change of scope is the main thing. Um, yeah, you can bring in the whole thing of more, new enemies to fight, and all there's, there's you know, Gulliman's out, so got to be careful of him or try and hunt him down or whatever you want to do. But I think that's secondary to the fact that the scope has changed now, and yeah. you're more in the in the forefront of what's going on. Well, I suppose one thing you could use, because one thing I've seen, especially like we mentioned this before with Gulliman getting his hands on the Emperor's sword, you know, is he pretty much walked into the halls of terror and said, I need that. And the custodians sort of went, holy crap, it's Gulliman. But I mean, um, the concept here is a lot of, a lot of figures are now arming themselves with potent named ancient relics as such, you know, and so... Uh, if you how, want, yeah. How, how long is it going to be before the demon primarchs start getting their crap together I'm and saying, marching? You know, that's it. And we need to, you know, before we before we march, we need to get our hands on the, you know, whatever. You know, yeah. M- 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 make up, you know, the the heart render of I don't know whatever. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get the idea. So uh, yeah, I, I, that's also a, a good story. Is the fact that um, you know that the, the war is at a, a key turning point. And so now, you know, it's not just about building a power base now, it's actually about how do we prepare ourselves for the next major victory. Yeah. yeah. That's really all really saying that one, I think. You know, it's yeah. probably not a, not a long discussion, but I think it's a it's a key one, and it will help keep your Black Crusade game feeling fresh. Now, now that we're at a point where we're not getting new books, um, then I think it, it's yeah, a keep, Keeping it fresh is going to be a bit more difficult, so yeah. I think you need to start adapting some of the... Eighth edition fluff and things that are happening into your game. Pick up, you know, the index chaos and you know whatever comes out next for Chaos Space Marines. I'm sure there'll be lots of cool equipment, that sort of stuff. To, to yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there'll in. be new abominations that they're releasing on mankind. That's it. Yes. All right, let's keep going. All subsequents report to the administrator for career assignment. Okay, so for our career discussion, we're going to be covering off the Alpha Legion Chaos Space Marine, which appears in the Time of Fate. Perhaps. Uh, sorry, perhaps. <laughs> well, so, so first of all, give me give me your take on the Alpha Legion. Um, it's pretty difficult because they're so shrouded in mystery. I suppose is the best way of putting it. Yeah, by, they, by, they, by design, I think. Yeah. yeah, they don't even know if they're actually fighting for chaos or for the emperor, or if this is some long term plan of the emperors or their primarchs or. They have no idea. Yeah. I really don't think they have any idea. I think the only person who knows exactly what's happening is Alpha Arius. Yeah. And that's it. So, I mean, I think that when it comes to uh, you know, what the Alpha Legion cast Space Marine brings to the Screaming Vortex, the, you know, what, what they bring to the warband. Confusion. Well, no, I was going to say, yeah, you could say they are, they are, you know, chaos personified in that respect, you know. But I was going to say that probably the number one thing they bring is an awesome paint scheme. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got to say, I, I really do like, you know, a nicely painted Alpha Legion Space Marine is a, is a thing well, of beauty as such, you know. You've so. got to remember, they are the ultimate stealth specialist because blue and green can never be seen. See, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. That's terrible. <laughs> um... Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they are coming. 
uh, most particularly. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so even though we say okay that, they're, that their whole origins etc are quite mysterious, they are invariably they're not a legion which is given to just throwing dozens and dozens of frontline no, fighters. They're, they're, they're most definitely not attrition warfare. They're all about stealth, subterfuge, yeah. sabotage, terrorism, all, all the horrible things that normal marines. Yeah. Even during the Great Crusade, thought was beneath them. Yeah, because it's funny you think about like you know ten Marines versus a thousand Imperial Guard. That's not asymmetrical. That's symmetrical warfare. <laughs> yeah, but, but the, the, these guys are like ten Marines versus a planet. Yeah, you know t- how much damage can ten Marines do before you know can they can they can they get this entire planet to tear itself apart as such? Yeah. So you know, I think that's, that's a quite a lot of fun. Um, let's talk about their uh, their traits. So first thing they get is um, uh, deceitful tactics. Which means that once per session, they can substitute their uh, deceive skill during an opposed infamy test for the purposes of obtaining services or manipulating others. Yeah, and I think so they start with deceive at uh, plus thirty. Plus thirty. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's as good as it's ever going to get. They yeah. are the ultimate. So, so it, it's 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 you know, the ultimate case of you know it's not it's not who you know it's what you know in this case you know because yeah. they, they they might have they might have a relatively poor influence or infamy, but uh, with this particular skill, they can. Put their gigantic deceive to work as well, and say, "Oh, don't you know who I am?" Yeah. <laughs> well, even if you don't know who I am, I know who you are, and I know who you've screwed over to get here. Yes. Yeah. Um. So the second one is actually quite a cool fluff one, I think. Which this, this is insurrectionists. Um. So this means that uh, once per session, you can make a scrutiny test, and if you're successful, the GM basically reveals a contact that can be used to help you achieve your objective. You know, so if if uh, the objective is to find this artifact, you know, he might find, yeah, the GM might bring out a, a historian or character that has as a contact. If it's to subvert this world, that you know, they, they may reveal a traitor in the Imperials' ranks yeah. and such. So it's particularly useful if you do go into the Imperium yep. because they have networks of spies and cultists everywhere, or that perceived idea that they have them everywhere. Yeah. Um, it makes it very useful because you're not going to have many contacts to get equipment or replacement gear or repairs or help of any kind yeah. on a random Imperial world, unless you're a character like this or you've done lots of groundwork as a normal character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay, so when it comes to building uh, an Alpha Legionnaire, I mean, I think that... Okay, let's look at stats first. I think intelligence is probably a major stat. Uh, I mean, it's arguable between intelligence and fellowship because fellowship does apply to a lot of the sort of the, the, the skills of subterfuge. But I think you like need deceive, like, like deceive. But but I think that um, you need intelligence from the point of view that if you want to have that long running plan, there needs to be a, there needs to be a deeper cutting to it than simply I'm I'm I've got a you know a silver tongue. Yeah, do you agree with that? I mean, it's... yeah, yeah. They're, they're not sort of that glib seat of the pants flyers. They have plans in place long before they stop acting on them. Yeah. Similar to Zinch. But I think that unlike a Thousand Sun Sorcerer or something like that, they don't make plans just for the sake of making plans. Yeah. They don't do crazy things to overthrow worlds just for the sake of doing it. They do it with an end goal in mind. There's always an end goal and it sometimes it's long term, sometimes it's short term, but they've planned it out before. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean uh, question for you, Mike. When, when this book first came out, so, so Tome of Fate was the first Tome book to come out. Yeah. And of course, Alpha Legion are unaligned. So did you find Alpha Legion in Congress too 
The Zines book when it first not came out? No. Not no. at all. Yes. Uh, of all of them, they fit the best. Yeah, I mean, you've got that whole sort of element of, um, of I guess, the long plan and the plots within plots sort of yeah. concept. Yeah. Um, now, as far as other uh, characteristics go, we never really sort of mentioned this in uh, the in our, in our game, but um, or in these descriptions. But I think this one actually really does benefit from Infamy. Yeah. And I think that Infamy as a stat, some people might get to confuse might get confused with notoriety or fame or yeah. fame. Exactly right. Yeah. Because yeah. the whole thing is that someone can be you can have a high Infamy without being. Uh, extremely well known by everybody else. Infamy is about being known by the forces of chaos, by the gods as such. Being known by those who matter. Yeah. In this it. case, that could be just your personal god. Exactly. And it could even be a case of, you know, there are stories about, you know, this guy that comes around and does this, but no one really knows who he is, but the stories precede him wherever he goes. And so that, that could be a good representation of a, of a decent infamy score as well. Uh, it's good they do get a bonus infamy as well at the start because they get a pretty high starting corruption as well, plus 15 corruption. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to have a good chance of <laughs> not being a mule in chaos born, then, yeah, um, yeah obviously that, that corruption with a bit of infamy is also, I think, quite important too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, what else? Uh, it does say, I think they get a high perception as well. Um, I guess that works into not being, you know, reverse conned yourself and say with willpower. Combat stats, Mike, anything really? They, they need combat stats? I mean, they're already Chaos Space Marines. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're already going to be pretty powerful. I'd say they benefit more from range, so ballistic yeah. skill. Um, they're more suited for sniper duties and assassinations rather than getting in close and hacking groups of people to pieces. Yeah. They're more the surgical strike, killing a single person to start a riot, you know, killing a single leader to, to make forces break down in, in disarray. Yeah. I mean, I suppose okay. the whole thing is that, that despite everything else, you know, yes, we, yes, they're stealthy and cunning, but they are still a nine foot tall guy in a massive suit of power armor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the ability to sort of sneak into a crowd and knife someone uh, is limited when you know you stand at least you know a head oh. and torso higher than the rest of the crowd. The rest of the crowd, yeah. <laughs> um, I'd say tech use is probably a really useful skill as well in a combat point of view for explosives, traps, booby traps, all that sort of stuff, sabotaging equipment, um, jury rigging equipment, taking yeah the things that you're going to find and need that you can't just walk into a shop and buy as a Chaos Space Marine. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because you're going to be operate. Well, the character is designed as, as a concept to be working behind enemy lines yeah, a lot. Potentially as, as a sole operator. So I was going to say, skills-wise as well, things like survival. Yes, survival. You know, to be able to manage your own... Medicaid you, as exactly well. Exactly right, yeah. 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 Um, obviously things like stealth, deceive. You know, the, the, These are the bread and butter of the, the... Deceive you don't have to worry about. You start well, with it at right. maximum. <laughs> you, you don't ever have to touch uh, it. You could take... Is it talented? One, is talented a talented... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talented yeah. deceive. <laughs> That's it. There you go. Let's get that extra plus 10. Exactly right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, law skills, I think, work well for Alpha, Alpha Legion as well, because yep, yep. Um, you know, I think it's good for this sort of character to know a lot, especially about, about especially forbidden laws. Yeah. You know, not so much common laws, but, but more sort of like the things that most other people, most people don't understand. Yeah, I'd say common laws as well to a degree. I'd say scholastic laws, they're probably going to be their least, except for scholastic law tactica, imperialis, yeah. because, you know, they kind of wrote the book on it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, and uh, scrutiny, I think, is another social skill yeah. that's probably worthwhile to have uh, for this sort of character. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge. I mean, it, it's. Basically... I'd say they're more a skill heavy character than a talent heavy character. Exactly right, yeah. I mean, I really felt that a lot of the talents that um, were particular to 
Alpha Legion, they've already got as part of their starting things like things like Cold Hearted, that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, it's really going to come down to um, the what style of character you want to build as to the talent set you take. You know, so you can sort of buff out your skills. You can you can actually develop some combat ability as well. But uh, yeah, for, for a, lot, a lot of things, you know, skills, uh, talents like Foresight, um, Cold Hearted, uh, yeah, uh, those sorts of things, they already get. Um, so they, they get enemy inquisition as well. I'd probably consider some more enemies um, yeah. or hatreds as well because uh, I mean I think most Alpha Legionnaires have, have fought many different enemies. They're not one of those sort of groups which is so particular to taking on spe- you know specific Xenos or specific. Although I do think that most most of what they do is against the Imperium as such. They probably yeah. get involved yeah. with. Yeah, it's difficult to infiltrate the Elder. Yeah, and... that's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, which god do you think? If you're if you were playing a, a Alpha Legion Marine, yeah, would you stay unaligned the whole time, or would you try and devote yourself to a one of the guys? It's actually the sort of character that I would keep unaligned, even to the point of not reaching apotheosis, because mm. because once you hit the, the requisite point, you know, of infamy, you don't you don't change unless you become aligned. So, I mean, I think that a, a Demon Prince loses. Some of that infiltrating ability, you know, like it's... Yeah, yeah I, I'd say so. Yes. I mean, they, they, I think there's one Zinch Demon Prince ability that lets them shapeshift to look like other people. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but... but that's it. That, that's the entirety of your character if you're going to be doing that. That's your entire out for being able to do other things. Yeah, look, if you're pushing down the path of, you know, you really had to follow a particular god, like, you know, your, your GM was trying to push forward, then I'd say probably Zinch would be my pick. Yeah. Which is why I think it's good that fit in this book as well. But I think it's the sort of the classic would devote effort to specifically staying unaligned. Yeah. Like you know, like like if if the character was starting to fall too heavily into one camp or the other, would would specifically work against that that sort of ideal yeah. to to try and keep themselves more more centrist. Is that? Yeah, yeah. Think, but honestly, I think they could fit for pretty much any of the gods. I could see a Nurgle one sneaking into. Cities and poisoning water supplies and spreading diseases, or a Slanesh one, specifically building pleasure cults on many, many different worlds. Yeah, corn probably not so much. Corn's probably the odd one out out of out of the four gods, but I, I think you could probably find a way to get it to work. Yeah, yeah. But surprise war. Yeah, surprise war. <laughs> surprise berserkers. <laughs> so, I mean, Mike, if you're going to play one of these, what do you think are the sort of key personality traits you would be looking for? Secretive, shifty. Yep. Mysterious. You know what? <laughs> to, I'll be honest. It's the sort of character I would hate to be in a group with. Yeah. It's going to be the kinder of the group. It's yeah. all, but without the doing it for just for the sake of doing it. But they're always going to be sneaky, and they're always going to be keeping secrets and and holding secrets so that we other characters don't know what's going on. I'd hate to play in a group with one, but I wouldn't mind playing one. But okay, so, but that's the trick I think for in terms of playing is that. It's all well and good to do those things, but you don't do those things just to be a dick. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to know that I'm not sharing this with the rest of the group because this is how it empowers me. You know, so, you know, if the group says to you, so what do you do on the weekend? You go, I'm not telling you. You know, does, is there actually some, some you know, benefit that you've gained by keeping the knowledge secret? Or, 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 or telling yeah. a lie? I mean, yeah. that's it. You're right. I mean, telling them, oh, there's a hidden relic in there 
if you're going to steal it, it's, it's stupid. You, you mm. keep that knowledge secret. You tell them yeah. there's the temple there, all this stuff, all the security, but you wouldn't tell them where the relic's hidden. You'd peel for it yourself. Yeah. But if it was something that you don't care about, like a set of saint's bones, which one of the other characters wants to destroy, mm. sure, tell them. Yeah. Who cares? You don't. It's a, it's How does it affect you? Throw them off guard that you told the truth for once. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> it's all about keeping the other players on their toes. Everyone around you should be constantly wondering what is a double motive here or triple motive, and yeah, yeah that's it. Well, that, that's it. I mean, you could actually have a lot of fun playing this character, always telling the truth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because everyone will always be going, "What's he up to?" <laughs> All right, no worries. All right, well, let's let's close out this one. But I want to actually have a uh, a semi-related plot hook as well. So let's let's come okay. back to that. No worries. Attention, loyal servants of the Imperium, stand by to receive orders. So for our plot hook today, I want to talk about a topic that I have discussed in the show in the past, and yeah, I think fits nicely with some of the elements of the Alpha Alpha Legion there as well, and that's the concept of betrayal. Okay, but here's the thing. You're playing a, a Black Crusade game. You're all forces of chaos. You know, I'm sure you're going to get betrayed by each other all the time you know, towards the ends of different gods. But what about when the betrayal is from a agent secretly working for the Imperium? Yeah. yeah so, so, I mean, th- th- I'm sure there are ways you can think of actually bringing an Imperial agent in to screw things up for the, the, for, for, of for, for the group here. So it's probably not so much in the Screaming Vortex. Yeah, sort of spending too much time in the uh, in the warp is going to sort of you know corrupt any any, any fair plan as such. But I think oh, that um, well, that said, it doesn't mean that they're still not going to betray the, the other characters. They may think that they're doing it for noble reasons, but they they themselves have been corrupted. I mean. Yeah, but I mean, take the concept that you know that the, the the player character group has been sent to subjugate this world or or, or do, do something to the, towards this world. They've been told here is this individual who is actually a traitor that it's going to help you as such, you know, and so that person setting it up. But in reality, what that person's doing is, you know, they've identified that these, you know, the player characters are high infamy individuals who will soon pose a threat to the Imperium. And so... It's a trap. It's a trap, you know, that they, they, they plan to, you know, lure them into a, a compromising position and expose them to the Imperial forces so they can be captured or killed as such, you know, and, and therefore... Yeah, because uh, there's pro- lots of capturing going on when you're fighting <laughs> the forces of the guy. Well, look, I mean... Okay, let's talk from a meta point of view. For the first off, is that you know when you kill an you know an agent of chaos, then you know, who's got a high infamy, then they're going to the, the dark gods are going to bring them back, you know. But when you put them in a stasis vault somewhere, you know they <laughs> you take them out of the take them out of the circle of a cycle of life and rebirth, you know, death and rebirth. So. Yeah, I'll be honest. I always considered that you'd be able to burn infamy, infamy the get, same yeah. way to have the stasis thing fail or okay, yeah, to get, to, yeah, so get, get out of um yeah. of, of a otherwise you know it, otherwise game ending f- not fatal but fatal yeah, event i mean yeah. uh, but that, that's another point entirely but yeah yeah, yeah so i think that could be an interesting element is to sort of bring the concept of betrayal by the forces of good yeah, if you're playing the forces of evil, you know it's a... the forces of good with their <laughs> sneaky, sneaky honor. That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, this is the whole concept of no honor among thieves. You know, is it, it yeah. is. Yeah, and and you know, do you want it? Do you have that that player who is you know a hardcore imperial player normally who says, "Oh, but I want to play Blood Crusade. I want to be a good guy." It's like, well, do you want to be a good guy? Maybe there's a way we can make this work for you. You know, and maybe you actually <laughs> are a hidden good guy. 
in the Imperium. And yeah, but you're going to die horribly. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Just the same way that in a normal hero game, when someone betrays a group, you know... They die they, horribly. They might get a bit of fun, but they're not going to win, by, they're not going to win the game by destroying the whole group. You know, yeah, so. yeah. You know, it's just one element you can use anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. let's keep going. Revered your Nisia, for it is the source of all power. Okay, so I asked Mike to choose the war gear tonight. I asked him to pick, it, pick something from the Tome of Fate since we've been talking so far about the Alpha Legionnaire and Mike has chosen the Shimmering Robes. So Mike, why don't you tell me about the Shimmering Robes? Okay, so first of all, they're pretty and fancy. they bright colours that dance across their surface. They flutter in invisible winds. They look really pretty. Yeah. If you're not a psyker, that's it. That's the extent of it, yeah. <laughs> that's the extent of it. They're, they're pretty clothes. If you are a psyker, however, they're like having a force field that's really, really good. Yeah. Essentially, it's got a protection rating equal to nine times your Psy rating, nine being the, the lucky number, number of Zinch. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So if you've got a Psy rating of three, you've got a 27% chance of ignoring your hits. Yeah. That's pretty good. However, its failure rating is also equal to your Psy rating times one. Yeah, and this is based on the concept that you know, Zinch doesn't roar, doesn't roar hubris. You, know, you, you get so powerful you think you're unstoppable, and it's, you know, it's more likely to fail for those who are uh, too yes. powerful. So, I mean... The, in the hands of someone who's a powerful psyker, like a psy rating eight psyker, yeah. this is pretty massive. Yeah, that's it. You know, talking huge numbers here of protection, but fairly high failure chances as it gets worse. Yeah. If it ever overloads, you roll under your psy rating. Yeah. Um, they turn dull grey and they stop working. And yeah. you have a day to spend meditating to zinch for an hour. If you fail to do that, they crumble to dust and they're gone. That's it, yeah. And... They're extremely rare. They're not impossible to get hold of, but they are tricky. Yep. Um, and for a psyker, they're worth getting. If you're not going to wear armor, you're just going to wear robes. Yep. These are the robes to get. Yeah, and, and there is a, a valid reason to use them as non-psyker. It's because you know they, they will never stop looking pretty because you'll never roll under your psy rating of zero. Yeah, exactly. So they will always be pretty. You know, it's, it's, exactly. It's, and your you psyker will always replacing his shimmering robes to keep to keep crumbling the dust. But you know, you there is your corn berserker. Well, happily keep wearing your <laughs> shimmering robes. Yes, your your, your scintillating <laughs> robes of colourful silks, which are just spattered in nothing but blood. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, nice choice, Mike. Nice, nice choice. Okay, yeah. let's keep going. My lord, the information you requested is now available for your review. Okay, so I'm going to um, peel back the curtain here a bit. We're actually now recording. The rest of the show you're going to hear now is recorded the day after we started recording because... When we were, the, the show you've had up until now was everything was going well, and then we started the review section yesterday, and we got a nice fourteen-minute review out, and then found that my computer had run out of memory, run out, run out of hard drive space, only four minutes in, and everything was balked, and we yeah. were like, okay, we're not going to be able to fix this now. Uh, I was actually originally planning to re-record the review section and the next section on my own. Uh, and then uh, you were correct at the start of the show. We said that uh, the day after we recorded, no, we we're going to correction. Time. You weren't planning to record this section and the next section alone because you didn't even remember that we'd forgotten <laughs> the next section until I said well, it was, it's the, missing. The, the technical problems screwed me over. Anyway, <laughs> okay. but, but, but as as ha- luck would have it, as we mentioned at the start of the show, we we're planning to play our regular midweek game the day after recording, and it's now that day. And our GM had a root canal today and said, sorry, I'm in too much pain to even drive. I'm not even sure how he thought this would work. He knew he was having a root canal and he decided to schedule a game after it. I mean, 
Never mind. Never mind. Okay, no worries. But so we're here. We get to we get to you know to finish the show the way we originally intended. So yes. excuse our uh, our technical and and uh, human error glitches here as well because yeah. that, that was really yeah. my plus fault. Plus the really. continuation facts problems of the fact we were wearing different clothes. But never mind. <laughs> that's it. Yes, yeah, your, your your whole your whole paradigm is now screwed up. That's oh. it. So um, actually, am I wearing different clothes? I am. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're not even sure. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we're on to the review here, and uh, although we spoke in the past about reviewing specifically Warhammer 8th Edition, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I've only had a chance to play one session, and that was literally just a demo game in a GW store. Okay. So uh, what I want to talk about here specifically is these new 8th Edition box sets that are the way to actually get into the game now. Uh, so they are Dark Imperium, No, No Fear, and First Strike. So let's start with Dark Imperium. Because, I mean, that's really the sort of the, I guess, the intended path into 8th edition. You know, this this goes along with all your previous uh, box sets like Death Mask and um, Dark Vengeance, etc., etc., all that going back. Uh, and I've got to say, they've really hit a new bar with this product for many for many reasons. Uh, I've got one little gripe with the product, which I'll come to a bit later on. And Mike's following his eyes because he knows where it is from when we tried to record this yesterday. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll start off with the fact that, okay, let's, let's think of it from an unboxing point of view. Let's, let's do a, vi- a audio unboxing. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> Just look at these graphics. <laughs> um, so, well, okay. So first I'm going to say the, uh, the box art works very nice. Oh, the box art yeah. works. Um, yeah. and so it's actually for the first time in a, in a slip cover rather than your conventional sort of, you know, board game style pull off top box. So you remove your slip cover and straight away you've under there, you've got a little sort of pull out box which has all of your plastics for your miniatures. Yeah. And I guess this is probably the first really big selling point of Dark Imperium because I think the miniatures they put together for these box sets are fantastic. Uh, They're not poseable like the sort of standard marine or other figures are where you can sort of move the legs, arms up and down and pick the legs you want. But I'll be honest. I mean, there's lots of debate about what's better, monopose or multi-part kits. Yeah. You've got to remember, when Games Workshop stuff first came out, other than the Rogue Trader Marines, if it was a decent-looking model, in other words, metal, yeah, it, it was, was monopose. monopose. That's it, yeah. And for a very long time, and, they were all and monopose. Even after that, they, even when they started to bring plastics in, the first ones were metal bases... Like, you know, the, the, the body, the, the legs, you know, the head was all metal and you could just put on plastic arms. Which had it, very little movement in yeah, them. Yeah, but well. my lady to change weapons, for example. That's those, yeah. those sort of hybrid kits, uh, which were horrible with anything to do with um, uh, yeah, super glue as well because it tended to ruin the plastic and everything. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, but I think the, the, I, I really like these monopose models because literally every single figure... Okay, that's, that's like I was going to say, every, every figure you get in the box set is unique, but that's not quite true because there's two of each Poxwalker. Yeah, uh, you've got but, so many pox walkers. Yeah, exactly you want right. to run a hand sculpted and designed. I think there's twenty, 20, 20 different 20, pox right, walkers. Yeah. But every marine is different. Um, every death guard is different. You know, uh, it's a really nice setup as far as the figures go. You know, it's, it's quite a unique army. I mean, I'm thinking back to the fact that I only recently bought Dark Vengeance to get the figures, and the you know tactical marines that came with the Dark Angels army there were literally three different poses, and they're all just guys standing. Flat on the ground with a gun. I'll be honest. Either high ready, medium ready, or low ready. That's it. Yeah, you know? the, in the Dark Vengeance box, you were getting it for the Chaos Marines. The Chaos Marines were so much nicer. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I think the figures are a, a great start here. Uh, and even the figures that came later, and I'll talk about the smaller boxes as well, they sort of kept the same idea going as well. So you've got these nice, diverse figures. Okay, so you get past you know your plastics into the main part of the box. Next thing you've got is a hardcover edition of the 8th edition rules yeah and I think this is the first time they put a hardcover 
into a box set. Yeah, yeah. third edition had a full sized copy of the rules. Yeah, but it was a soft cover. That's right, yeah. So yeah. it's a post office which had like a pocket copy of the rules yeah, and such. Yeah. yeah, and then fourth edition onwards, it was pocket copies. Yeah. That's it, yeah. But here you've got a full size um, booklet, um, hardcover, full colour. Uh, you know, the same the sort of thing you would normally buy separately to the game, you know, is included in the main box, which I think is a really great move as well. And I think yeah, that really came definitely. out nicely. Plus the added benefit of the fact that I only have to do one print run. That's true, yes. <laughs> well, I think you can still buy that book separately, can't you? Can you can buy that, that book, book separately, separately yeah. that's right. Uh, then you've got little, some small codexes. For Primaris Marines and Death Guard, pretty much just the codex rules for what you get in the box, uh, which is, you know, once you start getting the, the indexes later on, it's superfluous because those same uh, rule sets are included in the indexes uh, that, that you get as well. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, they're nice. They've got some background flap as well on both the Death Guard and the Primaris Marines. They sort of like. Some painting guides as well. Yeah, and I'll say I've got no problem with the fact they've introduced Primaris Marines. Uh, and said, you know, here, so here are these guys that are new. They've been, you know, especially bred, and they are have new organs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I, I do take a bit of exception to the whole concept that oh, there are actually still, you know, Primaris Marine veterans and you know, and ancient well, Primaris Marines well, who have yeah, been it, hidden away. No, no, no. Uh, it, it's been a couple of hundred years. The fluff has moved on a couple of hundred years yeah. since Gulman came back. Kadia fell. A couple of hundred years have passed. Yeah. We're starting Eighth Edition. That's you, it. You know, so. Yeah, but, but, but even when Gulen went to Call and said, "I want you to build me, you know, better Marines," I think that the implication is that Call was already working on this. Oh yeah, he'd, he'd already was, worked on it and finished it. He yeah. was just waiting for an excuse to actually be able to unleash it. Exactly. So anyway, that's, that's, that's a minor thing. That's a bit of a minor fluff thing. Nothing to do with the box itself. Uh, okay, you're going to get your regular, your regular stuff. Your dice, your range rulers. Uh, funny, I think here that the range rule they've used is. Whereas the old plastic rulers were like an 18-inch ruler. Yep. This one's now like a thin, um, sort of transparent piece of plastic, similar to the old, um, uh, remember in Blood Bowl, the old yeah, pass, the the old old pass, pass template. Uh, but um, only only a 12-inch one as well. So given that most weapons have, you know, up to a 24, 18 to 24-inch range, it, I thought it was an odd choice to put a... Well, the only reason I can see an advantage of having a 12-inch range is you have to be at 12 inches or less to be able to charge something. Okay, yeah. So... You can use it for as an excuse for that because there are some units which can charge further than twelve inches. Yeah, but you can't charge unless you're twelve inches away. So that's yeah. true. I mean, I, I guess the question is: is uh, how many people use the range rulers that come in the box, and how many people just use the tape measures, oh, especially yeah. the GW tape measures? You know, the officially branded ones. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but take, pay, any old tape measure. Pay, pay five times what you would at the hardware store. Yeah. Well, I will say that being said, most most tape measures you buy in Australia are going to come in centimeters, not inches. So, yeah, yeah that's a consideration. But anyway, but that was a minor thing. But um, okay, I did say I had one minor gripe with this box, and I'm going to go through it again now. Is what it is, I noticed, so I, I got my box, I took out the miniatures, I thought, okay, I'm going to work on the miniatures. I'll put the rest of the stuff away, put it in my um, office for the moment, put it in my study. So I put the slipcase back on, but of course, without that box that holds the, the plastics in it, there is no support for the top of the box. The slipcover just dips down into the crevice. So i got to put stuff on top of it, and it just starts to, to warp the box. So... For people that actually want to keep the yeah. box? For those people listening at home, you can understand why I rolled my eyes at James saying I've got a complaint <laughs> about this. I mean, some people like to keep the box for, you know, for, for the long term. I suppose if you kept all the all the cardboard bits inside to give the box shape, you, you could. But Yeah, I, I'm sure there are plenty of people who keep the boxes and then put the empty cardboard box at the bottom of a pile of other things and stack other heavier objects on top of empty boxes. 
I don't see what your problem is. Okay. Yes, I, I, I've still got all the boxes for all my plastics and all the, all the miniature sets I've already built, all my various Battle Sister squads. And, yeah, and you, you know, wonder why you've got no space in your, in your office. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that was, it's a minor gripe. It's just one thing I noticed that was a bit disappointing compared to other boxes. But I, I, I do like the suitcase idea. Um, I probably would have, under the suitcase, I probably would have done a conventional board game style box, but that's really the only difference. And yeah. once again, the artwork's very nice, so it makes up for it in many ways. Uh, okay, so on top of Dark Imperium, uh, you've also now got these other two box sets you can get into the game with. One of them is called No No Fear. And No No Fear basically removes the hardcover copy of the the rules. Yeah. You've pretty much got all the same miniatures you have in, in the main box. You don't get any different miniatures, just the same ones. Uh, but it also comes with a 4x2 uh, foot play map. Uh, along with the fact that the box itself can be inverted and turned into a piece of scenery as such. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's a cheaper way to get into the, what you get in the main box if you want to buy the rules separately. Yeah. Uh, and speaking to the guys at uh, Games Workshop recently, they did say that there are quite a lot of people who are buying No No Fear instead of Dark Imperium. Because uh, they want to get the part, they want to get other bits separately, or they want to try and save money in whichever way they uh, do. So. Yeah, and I mean, you can download the core rules for free from the Games Workshop website. That's true. I mean, yeah. you, you don't get the advanced rules. Yeah, but... and you still get the pocket edition of the rules in the box anyway. So, yeah. 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 I mean, for people not... that are used to playing from pocket edition rules, then that's not too bad. Uh, and then you've also got First Strike. First Strike, very similar. So it comes with some some other figures, but they are actually figures that aren't actually in the main box. Yeah. So you get three. Um, uh, not Inceptors, what do they call it? The, uh, oh, the, the Marines? No, no, the, 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 the standard tactical squad type Marines. Okay, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you also get three of the Primaris Reavers, uh, and then you get three uh, Death Guard and six Pox Walkers. Yeah. Uh, and they are different figures to the main box. They're actually slotter-based figures as opposed to the, uh, the ones that come in the main box. I found that they weren't as easy to build. Uh, because for The one is that... Um, the heads on these figures were all... This is, I've only done the Marines. I haven't done the, the Death Guard and Poxwalkers, but the heads on all the Marines were a separate part that was designed to slot in to the fact that the front and rear were two, separate, two, were two separate parts. And I could never get the head to sort of sit just how it wanted it to. So what it meant was on a couple of the figures, there's like a, a left gap where you couldn't completely close the torso as such. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's the, they still went together very nicely. And I think that the, some of the implications with these models is that you could actually consider not not even gluing them. Yeah, you know, we mentioned yeah, they, they are designed for for non glue clip together play. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. so and I like the fact that the instructions actually have like um, sort of colorings in the parts to show you where you should actually glue or what what parts you've already done, etc., etc. But yeah, uh, so yeah, first strike is definitely a good one to pick up. If you've already picked up Dark Imperium, because you get some more figures with it well, as well. The other advantage of the figures that you get, because for the Nurgle side of things, the fact you get three Death Guard Marines, yep. put those with the seven Death Guard you get at the standard. One's got a Blight Launcher, and in the standard group you've got a Plasma Gun. You've actually got a full squad of ten, which is legal. Okay, no worries. Yeah. I mean, squad of seven's legal anyway, but... It can become a full squad of 10, which is still just as legal. Oh, and this is an interesting point on us with First Strike when I got it as well, because you, you get these little sort of play cards in the box that tell you about the what you've got in that box. Uh, now, for example, one thing I noticed with the, the stuff that shipped with the main box with Dark Imperium was that uh, when you look at those same squads in the indexes, they are specifically limited to what that is. <clears throat> Not in the case of Death Guard, because Death Guard are already an existing squad. Yeah. But if you take... For example, intercessors. So you get two five-man squads 
that are all, all have um, uh, bolt rifles. And if you look in the, the Marine Codex, when you take a squad of intercessors, you get five men, and they have bolt rifles, and there's no customization is allowed. Yeah, it's, it's the same with the um, Lord of Contag- Contagion. Contagion. Yeah. Um, essentially, he comes as is in the box. He yeah. comes with his Terminator armor and his big man Reaper axe, and that's it. You get no choice. Yeah, I mean, I can't even take my two five-man squads of intercessors and build a ten-man squad. There's, yeah. no, there's no rules to grow the squad. Like I can't even give my guy frag grenades. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and so, when you look at what you get with First Strike, uh, so you get three intercessors... So in the main box is, you know, in the main book is rules for a five-man intercessor squad, but you get three here. So there is a little card here which has rules for three-man squad. Yep. There's no rules for Reavers. You know, you get three in the box, there's a little card there with rules for a three-man Reaver squad, but no points values. Yep. Uh, so you get the, the power levels, but you don't get, you know, the ability to go and take those sets of three figures yeah, and right. put them into... Uh, casual got... play is designed for power levels. Yeah. If you're playing casual pickup games, you're using power levels. If you're out playing tournament games, you're using points values. Yeah. And I think the expectation is that if you're using points values in tournament play, you've got the codex. Yeah, okay. I know the codex isn't out yet for some of these. Well, that, that's, they I'm, will I'm be expecting yeah, month, Reavers yeah. will be in the codex, but I'm interested to see whether you can, whether three Reavers is will, will be a legal squad. Exactly right, yeah. So, um, anyway, so the options are... And the good thing with First Strike is that Effectively, so you get you get dice, you get a six inch ruler, you get a cut down version of the rules, you get a two by uh, sorry, a two foot by two foot play map, and the box becomes a piece of terrain. So literally, for Australian fifty five dollars, maybe US forty dollars, no, probably you, actual priced about thirty bucks in the US. Yeah, that's it, yeah, you can start playing. Yeah, yeah. two people can play a game of forty k um, with the eighth edition rules for as little as that. Yeah. F- figures, map, terrain, rules, dice, ruler. One of the good things is as well with the the play map, I think it's double-sided, and on one side it's actually got marks put out for where to put your models for the starting game yeah. for a learn-how-to-play game. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get any easier than that. You put your models here, you start playing, this is what you can do. That's it, yeah. yeah. So, look, I mean, a lot of people are buying a mixture of the different boxes. So I bought Dark Imperium and I bought uh, First Strike. Yeah. I, I know that you've considered getting um, uh, No No Fear only because it gives you the extra... Like the, the extra blight drone, but I mean, plenty of people are actually breaking up these boxes and selling them on eBay as well, yeah. separately. So th- there's no reason that you couldn't do that too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, part I'll, of my... I'll be honest though, if if you're thinking of doing that, look on Facebook for um, buy and swap sites oh, yeah, rather yeah. than Facebook because Facebook people. Oh, oh, eBay, you mean? Sorry. So eBay's gouging. Facebook is is reasonable prices. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I agonised for a long while over, you know, should I give my Death Guard figures from Dark Imperium to Mike? Because Mike's doing Death Guard, and I thought, you know what, these are nice figures. I, I could see myself using these in even the the RPG as miniatures for the RPG. I mean, yeah. I, I'm sure that the fifth time it happens, the group's going to say, oh, not Death Guard again. Why is it we only ever fight Death Guard in this campaign? You know, but I, I do have other <laughs> enemy figures as well. But, you know, it's yeah. just, just... Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, so I like... I plan to keep them. I also, I will point out, I did buy Patrol at Calf in this last week as well because I am going to, I'm going to get hardcore into doing my, my um, your Marines, my my, my Salamanders uh, Hor- uh, Heresy uh, Era uh, army as well. So okay, okay, my, my Horus Heresy uh, Era army of Death Guard. Look forward to it. <laughs> are you just going to use the same army for both? Is that no, 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 no. no. They are actually different armies. Okay, so you're going to get them in white, don't you, for Death Guard? And yeah, yeah bone, Heresy, so. bone and green. That's it. Yep. And brass. That's it. So, look, anyway, getting back to the point, um, I think that they've really put it stepped up a notch with these new box sets. They give you a lot of options. Uh, and if you just want the figures as well with the new ones, they do sell those figures as separate boxes as well. 
which do include those extra rules. I think no points value still though as well. So yeah, yeah. we'll see how that goes over time. But I think that it's a good start for what we've seen. Definitely. All right, let's move on to the last bit of the show. Okay. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. Okay, so let's do this little conversation I wanted to have about um, use of time in games. And so, Mike, we're going to start with a question here. <laughs> What's the longest campaign you've played in, in terms of actual time past? Physical, life? uh, yeah, yeah, real life time real, past? Real life time. What's the longest campaign in terms of months, weeks, years, etc.? Uh, probably the Dark Heresy game. Yeah, and that was probably a good seven years, close to seven years, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah close so, to seven yeah. years, about five, five, six years. Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, how much time in reality passed in that game? Because what I tried to do is I tried to actually make, a, like, effectively a year pass... Because you had you know, the evasion of warp travel, so yeah, so that, that was actually a pretty consistent amount of time. But we were yeah. playing once every three months at the end as well. Yeah, so. we, we, it was very spaced out towards the end, which made it more difficult. Um, I think probably you know, it was probably a good ten years passed in game, more okay. time passed in game than then, okay. in real life. Uh, and but that was mostly due to travel and downtime and that sort of stuff. Could you think of a, a campaign that you've played where more than ten years tra- like transpired in the game? Yes. Yeah. My dark, uh, dark Ages vampire game. Yeah, where it's hundreds of years, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it was about. I, th- I think you guys played for two hundred and fifty years, from yeah. about ten forty till about thirteen hundred. Yeah, and and how much actual time in reality would you say passed with that particular? game? We ran that game for three years. Around three years, okay. Yeah, well, that, that went for a long time, and that was weekly play. Okay, well, still, but anyway, but it, you, it, it was a lot of time went into that game. But we'd just all finished high school and bumming around yeah. doing a lot of things <laughs> That's it, yeah. doing not a lot so it was pretty much us just playing playing games okay so there's a couple of examples there so what I'm getting at here is that um, different people when they run different games and it's not just the person but it's also the game often as well will get down to different granularities about how much how time passes uh, in the game and in between game sessions as well yeah so when I ran my Dark Heresy game I, I went this concept that each session was going to be our mission you know, and I basically originally said that, okay, after each session, with, when it, so we're playing First Ed Dark Heresy right at the start where you have this monthly stipend, you get, you know, and you get your monthly income, basically. So I said, okay, you know, you, you never do more than one mission in a month. So even if we play a session, that session gets resolved, you know, the, the bad guy is caught and killed in the first, you know, five hours. Then the next time we play, it's still a month later because these characters have regular lives they go back to. And so everyone knew that every single month they would get their monthly salary coming in so they could use them, buy more gear for their character as such. It, it became a bit different over time yeah. at the end. But that was sort of the initial concept was that we I kept the time flowing at that pace. Um, now I look at the fact I've got my Scion game. Uh, so that's a game I'm running now for nearly five years as well. Uh, and so that, so that game's been running for nearly five years. And, and in-game time, which has passed, is probably about... Probably pushing eight to nine months now. So... <laughs> So as you can see, that, that's a fair amount of um, you know, time that has passed in reality compared to the game. And that's a game I play basically monthly at the moment. And, and it's not short sessions, too. We're talking sort of seven-hour sessions whenever we get together and play. So, And that's because I, I think with that group, they, they quite like in that game literally playing through every, every day. day of the characters' lives, along with the fact that a lot of those characters have the power now where they no, no longer need to sleep. So <laughs> there is, and it, it, I've tried to sort of you know create time requirements in terms of travel to get because you know, they're a global group, but that doesn't still contribute towards much, and so very little time has passed. It, and it really started when I actually put in 
in the game this concept where I said, okay, you guys have got until February of the coming year to solve this problem. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of game, in terms of reality time, they solved that problem probably two years ago now. But th- it's still only September in the game as such, you know. So th- there was never really an, an issue with that because they were like, hey, we've got this target, we've got to get make every minute count. Okay, let's literally make every minute count. Uh, and another example, I mentioned this so many times on the show before, is the Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fly role-playing game. Yeah. That game has this really nice sort of house management mechanic where every month you sort of do a household fortunes role, you work out how that translates to actual actions, you then go and decide I'm going to start projects to build things or to hold a tournament, whatever the case may be. But because it's a game of such intrigue, I tend to find when I run it, players want to make sure they get every single second of every single day accounted for towards working on their plans. And so if you're only playing you know, a few hour sessions once, once a month, then you know, you'll find that after a whole year, you've probably passed through eight or nine days and you haven't done a single end-of-month household, household fortunes role. Uh, and, and definitely the opposite is true as well. So sometimes you've got a GM who really wants to get down into the minutiae of day-to-day activities, but the, the players are more keen to just get to the next, the next thing. So I've seen this sometimes happen, for example, in superhero games, where uh, the GM running a superhero game likes the concept of examining what the characters' lives are like outside of the crime-fighting scenario, you know, but the group is really just focused on we want to do the action of beating beating out bad guys guys and such. I don't care about the fact that my character's car needs registration. I need to defeat the condiment. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, yeah. Uh, and it's one of those things where if your if your idea and your group's idea is quite different, it can it can cause some some difficulty in playing the game uh, and making sure that everybody's engaged as well. So, have you have you encountered this problem, Mike, in the games that you've run that you, where you've had to sort of deal with the fact that the, the the players want to play every single day instead of focusing on larger, more sweeping yeah, tasks? Yes, it. yeah, it's a it's a common thing. It depends on the group. I think your best bet is to just say at the start of the game what you expect as the GM. Yeah. Find out from the players what they're expecting. Yeah. And it's, it's the only solution. Okay, that's it. That's the only sort of way you've really found yeah, out. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've tried other ways, but it just doesn't work. Okay. You, you can't force one into the other. If, if a group of players want to play out every single day, they, there's not going to be a lot you can do to, yeah, to I mean, make them change their minds. So, so I've tried to put into games elements that have a high time requirement. Yeah, yeah so I, like, I've tried that as well. I, I gave a group of players a, a three-month task, and I'm like, oh, it's going to take you three months to research and design and build this thing. Okay, no mm-hmm. worries. And essentially that player was then going, okay, well, I do that, and everyone else still wanted to play there every single day, Yeah, okay. which led to a, a major imbalance of, of spotlight time, really. Yeah. I mean, one character's in the library doing research, and the other character's out doing all their day-to-day tasks, and they're getting through a lot more stuff personally. Yeah, I mean, research is one of those um, interesting topics as well because some players have a, a different concept of how research works. Yeah. So, you know, the question is, can you do research while traveling from location to location? I guess it depends on the mechanism of travel. It also you, depends on the mechanism of research. Yes, yeah, that's right, yeah. I mean, you, you, can, you can read a book while on a train. Oh, absolutely. Or on, but on a ship, what- you know. But can you do it while riding a horse? Well, no, (laughs) it's more the question of, say, I'm doing research for a chemistry paper I'm writing. I'm writing my doctorate on chemistry. And I'm doing it, and we decide to travel. Okay, so I take half a dozen books with me that I think are going to be relevant. 
And halfway through my travel, wherever that may be, I realise that actually I need some more books, yeah. which I don't have access to because I'm not in a library. <laughs> you know, there's a reason you go to a library to do research, especially with things, you know, talk to any actual student in university who's doing major things, masters and doctorates. They're going to the library regularly. They're reading lots and lots of different books and journals and papers and newspaper articles and anything they can find about their topic because it's always changing and things change. You might start writing your thesis about one thing and then you find that it actually changes partway through into something slightly different. The results might end up meaning that you've got to study something else to put in there because the results were unexpected. Well, I think you've alluded to another key point there as well, which is a lot of people assume that research is just reading. You know, and it can include things like, you know, peer review, you know, consulting with experts, you know, with, uh, yeah. with experimentation as such, you know, to prove a point, you know. So I, I guess bringing that back to the whole concept of time, one way you can sort of control the group's desire to, you know, track every minute is to make it so that sometimes the resources they need to progress are not, not as available as they are. So, you know, literally yeah. they, they want to go and see this person. Well, this person's not in for another three days. So <laughs> and if that's, if that's a stop to what they're doing, then you can actually get some time to... To pass, but I mean, I think in, in a lot of ways it comes down to the style of game as well. So you know, when you're playing like a gritty survival post post game, yeah, it's, it's reasonable to expect everybody wants to sort of work out what I do every single day. Every single day. Yeah. You know, when you're playing a medieval fantasy, you know, where travel times can be you know, in the weeks, you know, you probably don't want to have to play through every single one of those. And yeah, there's also the the skill level imbalance as well. Yeah. Say we've got two characters. One's doing research for the next three months. The other character is a combat character, and they say, I'm going to spend the next three months at the gun range practicing every day. Yeah. Or doing weights at the gym every day. It would be fair to under- expect that they would increase in strength or skill or ability in what they're doing. Yeah. How do you really differentiate the two? I mean, it's like the old D&D thing. If someone goes to the gym every day because six months are passing while the wizard learns a spell... Should it have an effect in games? There's no rules for this sort of thing. It's also an interesting point as well as the fact that if someone says, okay, I want my character to go to the gym every single day and spend all day working out, you know, that would be a pretty boring life for that character. Oh, yes, absolutely. But so would be doing research every single day. And that's the thing is like, you know, you tell people that you're allowed to have six hours a day of research. They say, what, you know, eight hours a day of research. Like, what happens to the other 14? It's like, well, you've got to, you've got to sleep. You know, you've got to, you know, you've got to, you've got to have food. You've, you know, your character probably has some hobbies or something that they need to, they need to yeah, they need move to, away from. Yeah, they need to dewind at some point, or they're yeah. going to snap. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So, uh, I mean, and certainly, once again, if, if someone they want, they just want to spend, you know, twenty four seven working out, you know, the character's going to go nutty as well from <laughs> insane. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I do know a few people that do spend ridiculous hours at the gym, though. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. they are out there too. But uh, no, so I mean, I've often used things like travel. You know, say okay, there's a requirement to travel, and we don't we're not going to play through every day of travel, so that allows us to move time forward, um, depending on the game as well. Uh, like I said before, you know, making certain resources unavailable to them. Although with my groups, they tend to want to okay, we can't do that right now. Let's go and do this instead. You know, we'll, we'll come back to that person. You know, yeah. in a moment as such. Um, or uh, what else has worked for me in the past? I mean, uh, did you get this problem a lot, or is this really something you've you've, you've learned to manage now? Or? Mainly, the best way I find to do it is to simply flat out stay. Yeah. Three months pass. Yeah, that's it. 
Uh, I, I mean, alternatively, you can sort of say at the start of the game, look, this game is going to have periods of downtime. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, what, what we play here is the key events of the character's life. And, you know, there'll be downtime. And we spoke in the past about blue booking. You know, certainly encourage your players to, if they want to work out what their character does in downtime, then, you know, give us an idea. Give us a, a snippet of the character's lives. Write us a, a, a character journal or something. But your characters probably can't reasonably spend every day of every week of every year of their entire lives solely focused on whatever it is their their work is as such. You yeah. know? I, I mean, it depends. This also depends on which game you're running as well. I mean, if you're running a Dark Heresy game, less time is going to pass between missions than if you're running a Black Crusade game that started from the end of the Horus Heresy. You know, yeah. You've got 10,000 years to cover. That's a bit different from, you know, the characters might have five years to live as, as Inquisitorial Acolytes. Yeah. Tell me, did you ever encounter a very old role-playing game called Pendragon? I've read parts of it. Yeah? Yeah, I, I remember grabbing the book because I always used to love the Arthurian tales. And okay, everything. yeah. And then I found that it was actually garbage. It was, the writing style was garbage. Okay, so, so there's been five editions of Pendragon. Now, there's actually a recent edition. Well, when I say recent, like 2014, 2015, I think was when it was done. Um, but so, so one of the concepts this game had was, as you say, it's, it's built around Arthurian legend. And, and Arthurian legend sort of spans... A period of nearly a hundred years. Yeah. Uh, so if you, it's it's not really, you know, if you're talking about medieval people, it's not conceivable to have one character through the whole storyline. Uh, and one of the concepts of, of Pendragon is that pretty much every time you play, this is your character's big adventure for this year. Every game is basically represents part of a year, and then there's this whole mechanic outside of the session to determine how does your character develop and grow in the remainder of that year. Because you know? yeah, yeah. the expectation is that, you know, medieval knights would actually have families, would have, you know, they'd have yeah. homesteads, they would have... They, know, they've got feudal obligations to their lord that they have to take part in. Exactly they have right. no choice yeah. about that. Yes. Uh, and at some point or other, you'll get to the point where, you know, you'll make your sort of in middle of the year role and you'll have, your character basically will become in some way unable to continue as a knight uh, because they effectively, they've become too old or they've been injured too badly as such. And so at that point in time, you better hope that you've got a child of age that you can quickly switch to or else, you know, another character's child of age or else you just generate a whole new line. But you know, the idea is that it's supposed to be a, a saga rather than here specifically is these characters' lives. You know, these char- all these characters had an impact on the overall storyline, but it's not, they are not the sole focus. It's what, it's the, the people throughout, throughout that hundred year period who had a touchstone to the storyline. So in thinking about the show, actually, because I, I, I read Pendragon, but never actually played it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I just found it interesting that, you know, that this, this concept's been around since, I think, Pendragon first started in the 80s, you know, with the, first, the sort of first edition yeah, of that. The, you know, the first so. edition read like a textbook. Yeah. <laughs> it, read, it read like somebody who really cared a lot about Arthurian legend wanting to educate the, you know, the gaming public about... Yes, Arthurian <laughs> legend. Exactly right. But, uh, so, so, I mean, I just thought that was an interesting sort of concept that a lot of people have sort of said, okay... It's interesting to do a game where there is a, a you yeah. know, literally you, you play less of the character's lives than you don't play. Um, but yeah, you play the, the key, the other you play method the key is, points um, and you... Yeah. Do you ever play Ars Magica? I didn't play, but I'm familiar with that. Yeah, so, yeah. so in Ars Magica you've got your, your wizards and then they've got their underlings. And the underlings go out and do all the adventuring to bring back regents and knowledge and information for the wizards. Yeah. And if the underlings die, well, your wizard just gets new underlings. Because wizards, obviously, very, very powerful, but... 
not too keen on going out and risking getting killed. Yeah. And that had a similar sort of sort of aspect because you were playing two characters. There was less emphasis to play every minute of every day because you had two characters. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, how about this? Let's hear from our listeners. You know, if you get a chance, jump onto our Facebook page. You know, give us your thoughts on what style do you prefer? Do you prefer the sort of every minute of every day? Do you prefer the snippets in your character's life? You know, as a GM, you know, what do you prefer to run? And do you ever run into this problem? And how do you deal with it? You know, let's let's try and get people you know, using social media to to share experiences. Uh, you know, forty k role playing or otherwise. Yeah, because I, I think this is, it's one of those things that affects any gaming system. Yeah, absolutely. So we've probably spoken enough. Okay. Um, what do you say we move on to closing out the show? Okay, let's do that. All astropaths in the choir chamber. Message incoming. Okay, so normally as part of the show, we finish off with some user or listener comments and questions, but uh, I have not seen any, any new sort of major comments other than people sort of liking and making various comments about the miniatures I, I discovered under the stairs recently. You, you, your lot, gold mine? A lot of funny comments. <laughs> it's like it's a lot of people saying, oh, you know, you, you must be working for the Australian because only the Australian could lose a Bane Blade. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> so it's probably fun. But no, it's nothing new this, uh, in this three weeks. But if you do want to contact us, there are many ways to do so. Uh, you can do so through our website, which is www.grimdartpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plus sign grimdartpodcast. Our Twitter account is at grimdartpodcast. And our email address is show at grimdartpodcast.com. Uh, so coming up episode 85 will be an only war show. All I can really say for now is that we'll be talking about uh, the impact of 8th edition on only war and how you might implement that as well. So it might be very similar to Death Watch, but we'll we'll see what effect that has. And maybe more, actually, more dead Cadians. Yeah, so maybe we should actually start talking about incorporating things like the Militarum Tempestus into you know into only war as well because it's it's more than just a single archetype. I think when you've got you can literally have a, a Tempestus army as well in the 40k universe. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. True. Yeah, we'll have that discussion next time around. Next time so, around. That's it. Thank you for joining us. Um, sorry about the technical issues in this show, but uh, hopefully you still enjoyed it. And uh, we look forward to catching you next time. Mike, thanks again. Thank you very much. And we will see you soon. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games. Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibio's Music Alley. Music.mibio.com.